All right, if you see me yawning, I am like completely exhausted. So I'm not, it's not that I don't want to be with you all. It's just been a heck of a morning. Um, today's gospel, we've all heard it a number of times. Today, what I want to do is I want to open this up to you, hopefully in a new way. Um, so really quickly, I want to give you two details about the gospel in case you don't know them that are helpful. And I just offer to you, or I offer them to you for your prayer and reflection. Uh, the first thing is, we had all of our kids at the first two Masses. I was at St. Louis this morning, and it was absolute pandemonium. It was awesome. Uh, but we were talking about math with our, our kids. So we got to do a little math today with our gospel. So the New American Bible has really good intentions, and it gets an F for today's translation of the gospel. And it has really good intentions. But what it's trying to do is it's trying to kind of help us understand the amounts of money that are at play in the gospel. But it dumps down the gospel in doing that. And so what it does is it says that that first servant owed the master a huge amount. That is the understatement of the New Testament. The, the first servant in the Greek of the New Testament, the first servant owes the king 10,000 talents. A talent is the largest uh, denomination of money in the ancient world, the largest coin in terms of value. Uh, 10,000 is the largest number in the Greek language at the time. It's myriad. When we talk about there are myriads of things, myriad is 10,000 in so it's the largest sum and the largest number the Greeks had. And 10,000 talents, to give you an idea of this, one talent, and there's different ones, there's different ways to kind of look at this, but one talent for the average person in the ancient world, a talent is your entire salary for a full year. So let's do some math. So I make $100,000 a year. That was supposed to be funny. <laughs> Everyone, no one allowed to last mass. I'm like, everybody's like, well, inflation, you know. There's a shortage of priests, I guess. <laughs> I don't even know what I make. I think I make like 30, but whatever it is. But if you make $100,000 a year, imagine 100,000 times 10 this is the type of sum we're talking about the first servant owes. And what we're supposed to feel with that, right, in the parable, we're clearly meant to be the first servant. And what I just want you to feel with that is you absolutely need God. Right? Like each one of us we have a debt before God that I cannot pay. It's simply too big for me. And I don't think most people believe that. But the New Testament certainly does. And it's one of the things today that should remind us that Christianity is not about nice people doing nice things. Christianity is about a bunch of people who were slaves 
and we're in an impossible situation, and we're redeemed by God. That's powerful just right there. The second brief point before we get into the main stuff today, today's parable is obviously a commentary on one line from the Our Father. Uh, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And if you've gotten a Lord's long enough, you know this, because I say it all the time. The Our Father in the Greek does not say trespass. In the Greek, it says debt. So the Greek word is ophelimata. And so every time you pray the Our Father, what you pray, if you were praying in Greek, is you would say, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. And today's story is a story of a man who had a tremendous debt and it was forgiven. And he refused to forgive his fellow servant his debt. And I hope that helps you when you pray the Our Father. Okay, but most of us, what we need in our life, so you you might have heard me say this before. N.T. Wright has a great line where he says, most Christians need a Copernican revolution. Right? Copernicus is the one who taught us that it is not the sun that goes around, or around the earth, but the earth that goes around the sun. And most of the time when you and I hear scripture, what we do is we immediately think, what does this say about my life? God, what do you want me to do? How am I supposed to behave? Those, are, those questions are fine. And God does teach us things in this parable about that. But what I want you to do today is I want you to have a Copernican revolution And before you ask about how you're supposed to forgive others, I want you to see about how your life revolves around his. And I want you to see what Jesus is doing in this parable. This parable, Jesus is doing something much, much bigger than you think. Much, much bigger. So the key today that I really want to draw you guys into today is about Daniel chapter 9. So in Jesus's, uh, at the beginning of the gospel today, Peter comes up to Jesus and he says, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? In Jesus's day, there was a standard answer to that question in Judaism. We have writings from rabbis that teach that kind of the standard in Judaism, the number of times you have to forgive is three. Three times. My number is four. After that, you're dead. Okay? But in Judaism of Jesus' time, it's three. Uh, And so Peter's already being generous. He's saying, Lord, what about, do I have to do it seven times? So Peter probably thinks I'm already being generous. And here is where uh, our NAB, God bless him, gets its second failing grade. In the NAB translation today, it says... Jesus says, nah, I do not say to you seven times, but 77. So Jesus is like, I've got 77 in me, but 78, and you're dead, right? Here's what the Greek says. You could translate it that way. There's two possibilities. That's one, but the other one is going to open this gospel for you in a way that you've never seen. The second possible way to translate what Jesus says is 70 times 7. 
So I know you're out of elementary school. Remember your times tables. 70 times 7 is? See, everybody mumbles. They did it at St. Louis, too. Everybody's like kind of nervous, like, oh, no. <laughs> it's been a while since third grade. Um, yeah, 490 years. If you and I had Jewish ears, if we knew how to listen to Scripture the way we're meant to, when Jesus says 490 years, we immediately know everything he's talking about. 490 is a very important number in the Bible that comes at one specific place, and it was massively important in Jesus' day. It's Daniel chapter 9. Hang with me today. This is so beautiful and so powerful. And you're going to go home and you're going to say, I'm going to go back and read Matthew 18, because I've got to read that again after I know this. In Daniel chapter 9... The prophet Daniel is in Babylon. He's in exile. And all of Israel is in exile. The whole nation, they're in exile. Why do they go to exile? Because of sin, right? They've sinned so grievously. And what sin does is it alienates us. If someone has hurt you deeply or if you've hurt someone deeply, if you see them somewhere, you can feel the pain of what's happened. And the natural thing, even just on a human level, that we want to do is, if we're around someone that's hurt us, we want distance. And Israel has sinned so grievously against God that the whole nation has to go into exile. So Daniel's there. He's in exile. He's away from God, and he's suffering. And Daniel, in chapter 9, prays to God. He simply asks, how long? I bet you've had that in relationships. If you've asked someone for forgiveness, and they're denying and withholding forgiveness from you, the most natural thing on earth is to pray and just say, how long is this going to last? When are they going to open their hearts again and, and bring me back in? So Daniel's praying that. He's inspired. He has an inspiration, he tells us. And he's reading his Bible, and he reads from the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 25. And in Jeremiah 25 is where God tells the Jews how long the exile will last. And so God tells Jeremiah there that the exile will be 70 years. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, okay, Father Brian, your homily just tanked. It was supposed to be 490. This doesn't make any sense. We'll get there. Seventy years at the beginning of Daniel chapter 9. So Daniel sees it. He says, okay, it's going to be 70 years. By the end of the chapter, the angel Gabriel comes to him. And he says this to him in Daniel 9.24. He says, 70 weeks of years are decreed concerning your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, 
to seal both vision, prophet, on and on. Seventy weeks of years. So that's a kind of confusing phrase. A week of years is how many years? No, it's seven. So when Jews say a week of years, they mean like seven days. So seven years, and he says there will be 70 weeks of years. 490. That prophecy we know was widely just known in ancient Israel in the time of Christ, and they believed they were living at the time of the fulfillment of that prophecy. 490 years is the amount of time until God opens his heart again to Israel and brings them back. Why did he go to set from 70 to 490? And this is key to today's parable in Matthew 18. So for those of you who have kids or maybe just remember when you were a kid and remember when you were obstinate. Yes, you do. You were a bad kid and I know you were. Um, we all were obstinate at times. Our parents, parents, you know this. So if your kid's doing something bad, and you're like, okay, don't talk to your mother like that. Go to your room, right? And they come out around the corner, and they, like, stick their tongue out at you or something. You're like, all right. And now you're not allowed to get married. You're going to be a priest, right? <laughs> if you're obstinate, right, what we do to our children is say, okay, you're going to have that attitude. We're going to extend your time, right? In Leviticus 26, God tells the Jews that if they go to exile, and this is for you, brothers and sisters, God never punishes us for evil, ever. Ever. He only punishes you because he loves you. And when God chastises us, it's so that our hearts will turn and we will become the men and women we're supposed to be. So in Leviticus 26, 11, God says, if you go to exile, I've punished you for your sins and you harden your heart against me. Leviticus 26, God says, I will multiply your punishment sevenfold. tells us that in Daniel 9, Israel is in exile, and she has hardened her heart against God. And she has refused to turn from her sin and repent. There's a couple things I want to draw from this. So when Jesus says to Peter, how often do I, should you forgive me? He says 490. Jesus is not saying 490, and if you go to 491, that's not what he's saying. Jesus is telling brothers and sisters in this parable, he is telling the story of Israel, and he's telling the story of the world, and what he is saying is that in him, the exile from God is over.
and the 10,000 talents that made things right, that paid the debt, happened right there. Jesus, in his perfect love for the Father, and by becoming a human being and offering to God the Father the perfect love of his heart and soul and mind and body, by sacrificing himself on the cross, has atoned for our hardness of heart. And that's amazing. Just an incredible thing. There's two things I want to offer to you about this today. God punishes his children. You've got to be careful with that. I said that at one of the St. Louis Masses, and somebody was like, are those earthquakes? Is that because we've been so bad? And I'm like, yes, especially you. No, it doesn't mean that. You can't correlate it that closely. And God is not a God who is angry and mad at us and he's got to get his frustration out on us. That is not God. That's not God. When God punishes us, it is only in love to restore us to become who we're supposed to be. St. Augustine says when he was deep in sin that God chastised him with twin rods of fear and shame. And he thanks God for it because it saved him from his sin. But here's the better news. I don't know if you've ever been obstinate in your life. Of course you have. I don't know if you have that right now. But the good news here, brothers and sisters, a lot of us, right, we go to confession. And a lot of people say to me in the confessional, and I'll say it too when I go to other priests. I'll say, Lord, I feel like I've presumed on your mercy because I haven't repented. And I keep coming back and back to the same sin. God loves me. He loves you, and so he'll give you a just punishment to take you away from what is dangerous for your eternal salvation. But here's the good news. He still forgives. He still does it. And at the end of the 490 years when Israel has been obstinate and has shut her heart towards God, he sends his son to die for her. This is, brothers and sisters, where the son, right, where we realize... This parable is not primarily about us. And the sun doesn't go around the earth. The earth goes around the sun. And what Jesus did in his life, in his ministry, his death and resurrection, brothers and sisters, is he ended our alienation from God. And if you know that that's happened, if that's true in your life, this is the type of thing that makes me feel so petty if I don't forgive the ways people have hurt me. But it doesn't start with me, it starts with God. And I'll leave you finally with this. When you come to confession, and I know you come all the time, 
the, the priest, right, at the end of confession, you make your act of contrition, the priest prays the prayer of absolution, right? At the end of the prayer of absolution, he says, and, may, and I absolve you of your sins in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't been to confession, that then count right there. Um, but the priest says that, and then there's an option the priest has, and I'm saying it more and more these days, but it's super fitting today. The priest has an option where he can say to the penitent, he'll say, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And you say, his mercy endures forever. Forever. That's Psalm 118, verse 1. And I would challenge you, today is Sunday, today is the day that you were redeemed. Maybe go home today and pray Psalm 118 and read Daniel chapter 9. Psalm 118, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Let Israel say, his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his mercy endures forever. What incredibly good news that is. Brothers and sisters, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever.